Today's scripture comes from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, we ask now that you would speak, for your people are now waiting eagerly for you to minister to us through the preaching of the word. Father, we ask that as we continue to track along in this life, that our minds and our hearts would always be fixed on the other world to come, the place that is our true home. And in the meantime, we would be empowered and equipped to be your ambassadors in a world that is in decay and a world that is passing away. Father, would you now give us all the resources required so that we would be a people of hope, a people of faith, and most of all, a people of love. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people together said, Amen and Amen. You know, if I sent one of you guys, just any random of you guys, an email saying something to the effect of, Hey, it's PJ. We got to talk. I got to meet face to face. Please come to my office Tuesday night, and I only need one hour. How would many of you, if not all of you, respond? I'd imagine all of you would respond with simply this question. Why? <laughs> Why? Why do you want to meet with me? Right? And of course, you would say more than that, of course, something to the effect of, uh, PJ, you know, I'm very busy. I have a lot of important things to do because I'm such an important person. So if you want to meet with me for an hour, I need to know the reason for that hour. Was that my son? <laughs> he doesn't agree, I guess. Fair enough. I get it. You want to know the reason for the hour. But here's the problem. If someone else asked you this question, what is the reason for your whole life? Not just one hour of your life, but your whole life. I would venture to guess many, if not all of us, would have a hard time in answering that question. I find that so interesting. I find it so interesting that almost all of us would want to know the reason for just one hour of our life, and yet hardly any of us think deeply enough to consider the reason for our whole life. What is the reason for your whole life? Why are you here? Why do you exist? For what reason is your whole life for? And all the questions that undergird that big one, such as why do you want to get married to that person? Why do you want to work that kind of job? Why do you want to attend that kind of school? Why do you want to work for that kind of company? Why do you want the approval of those kinds of people? What is the reason for your whole life? Well, as we consider our passage for today, John chapter 15, Jesus himself is going to tell us the answer to that very question. Lord, what is the reason for our whole life? His response, be fruitful. Be fruitful. 
We're continuing our summer sermon series entitled Shoebox. And the whole point of this series is to answer questions that you guys submitted months ago on topics or issues regarding the Christian faith that you either have a hard time understanding or a hard time agreeing with. And the question that was submitted that I'm going to be answering today is this one. How do you experience the fruit of the Spirit? How do you experience living out the fruit of the Spirit? And for those of you who are unfamiliar with that term, fruit of the Spirit, it comes to us from Galatians chapter 5, written by the Apostle Paul, where in verses 22 to 23, he lays out the various attributes that every believing Christian should exhibit as they grow and mature in their faith. Attributes such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You don't know how long it took me to memorize that morning. Okay, love, joy, peace. How do we live out these various attributes? How do we become a fruitful Christian? Now, in today's message, I'm not going to focus on any specific one of these varying attributes of the one fruit of the Spirit. Instead, I'm going to talk about how we can live out these various characteristics. And according to Jesus, the way that we do that is simply by living a fruitful life, by being fruitful. So with that in mind, three things I'd like to share with you regarding that matter. Number one, what we think it means to be fruitful. Number two, what it really means to be fruitful. And finally, how to be fruitful. What we think it means, what it really means, and then how to be it. All right, let's jump right in. First, what we think it means to be fruitful. Can we have our passage up again? But let's skip down to verses 5 and read up till verse 8. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. So here we go. Right away, Jesus tells us, without any needing to wait, what it means in terms of the reason for our existence. And again, he says, the reason for your whole existence is to bear fruit, to bear much fruit, to be fruitful. Now, what in the world does that even mean? Because after all, This is not something that we hear day to day in our conversations with people. When was the last time someone said to you, hey, dude, you need to have more fruitfulness in your life? Or when was the last time a girlfriend says, girl, you need to bear some fruit? Hardly ever. In fact, when was the last time anyone ever associated you with a fruit? I mean, the only situation that I could think of is when a loved one says something very cheesy and weird, like, oh, honey, you're my little sugar plum, or baby, you're the apple of my eye. But clearly... That is not what Jesus is saying here. So what does he mean when he says we're to bear fruit? Well, consider in our culture today another word that we use to describe fruit. Can you think of another word that we use in our modern parlance to refer to fruit? For those of you who have a habit of going to the grocery store and also buying a lot of fruit, you would know the answer to that. When you go to the store, where do you go in the store to get your fruit? You go to the produce aisle, right? The produce aisle, P-R-O-D-U-C-E. Interesting. Even though we pronounce it differently in its noun form, it's still the very same word that so often we say in the verb form, produce, produce. And of course, that makes sense to refer to fruit by the way it comes forth, by being produced by the earth, right? 
See, when Jesus tells us that the purpose of our life is to bear fruit, what he's really saying is the purpose of our life is to produce. Now, almost right away, every single one of you is going to completely misunderstand what Jesus is saying there, right? Because we're all New Yorkers. And as New Yorkers, if there's anything that we hear over and over is that you have to produce. In fact, you hear it too often, and that's really the problem. See, New York culture constantly drills into you that if you want to be significant, if you want to be secure, if you want to be set apart, if you want to be recognized as special, then you need to be producing. You need to be productive. You need to be bringing something to the table. I once heard a pastor give a message where he says, every city in America, every one of the vital cities in America is always asking a crucial question of its citizens that they must affirm in the positive in order for them to feel significant in that city. In LA, he claims, it's, are you pretty enough? In Boston, it's, are you educated enough? Here in New York, the question is, are you producing? Are you productive? Are you someone who can bring something to the table and make yourself worthy? and significant this is the question that we have constantly bombarding us day after day throughout our lives so long as we are in this city you're a college student you hear in the form of your professor demanding you produce if you want to get a certain grade in this class you hear it in your managers threatening you that you better produce if you want to have a future in this company you hear it even from your parents nagging you that they want you to produce a certain kind of life that they can be proud of that they can show off and flaunt amongst their friends and now it seems jesus is adding his demands to the pile saying you better produce if you live the kind of life that i'm gonna be pleased with and then of course when you read what he says in verse 2 it just seems to be confirmed what does he say every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes wow you hear that and i don't know about you but it almost sounds like he's threatening us saying if you don't produce i'm going to give you the axe literally <laughs> right how is that any different than a professor threatening to give you that F, that manager threatening to give you the pink slip, that parent or parents threatening to reject you or even, dare I say, disown you. It's not very encouraging. In fact, downright discouraging and depressing. But you know what's so tragic? What's so tragic is that so many of us Christians in here live our Christian life with that mindset, with that kind of attitude to where we envision God always looking down on us, always saying something to the effect of, you better do this, you better not do that, you better follow through on this, you better make sure you don't drop the ball on that. And as a result, the enslaving demand that you feel so often at home, at school, at work, now seems to be involved in your relationship with God. But if that's what you're thinking, you have to pay attention. Look again at what Jesus says down in verse 11. He says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be in full. Hmm. Jesus is claiming that when you live this life of producing, live this life of bearing fruit, the end result would be what? You will have joy. Joy. I don't know about you, but when I'm driven in a certain situation to think, I have to produce, I have to be productive, joy is not the emotion that I feel. I tend to feel the exact opposite, fear, anxiety, despair. 
So here's the question. How can Jesus say that if you bear fruit, you will have joy when in reality, in other situations, whenever we're bearing something, produce some, something or being productive, it's not joy, but it's fear, it's anxiety and dread. Is there a way to understand this? I think there is. And to begin explain, let me go to my next point, what it really means to be fruitful. Let's have verses one to four up there again, please. Jesus starts, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Notice how Jesus begins his whole teaching on bearing fruit. Before he even brings up the topic, before he even introduces the idea of bearing fruit, he wants to first establish one thing that you must understand first and foremost. And what is that? He says what at the very beginning? I am the true vine. He says it with clear technicolor visibility. He says, I am the true vine. Here's the question. Why does he start off saying this? Why does he feel it's so necessary to make sure that before you even think about what it means to bear fruit, before you even have it in your head about this idea of bearing fruit, why is it so crucial that Jesus says, remember, learn, don't forget, I am the true vine? Well, in order to answer that, you have to know something about plants, specifically fruit plants. So here we go. Fruit plants usually are made up of three things generally. There's the roots, there's the stem or the vine, and then there are the branches, Right? Anyone study horticulture like I did in school? It's terrible. I hate that I class. But those are the three things that I remember from the class, right? There are the roots, there's the vine, there's the branches. Here's the thing. Even though it's the branch itself that produces fruit, even though that's the appendage of the plant, the part of the plant that actually produces the fruit, it does not produce the fruit on its own. In other words, it is utterly dependent on something outside of itself in order to produce the thing that it produces, namely fruit. The moment you cut off the branch, the moment you kill that branch's ability and destroy it from being able to bear any kind of fruit. Why? Because the branch needs to be connected to the vine because it is the vine that provides all the power, all the means, all the resources, water, minerals, nutrients in order for that branch to grow and eventually bear fruit. That's how it works. There's no vine, there is no fruit, right? If you cut off the branch, there's going to be no fruit. The vine itself will eventually regrow another branch, and it will eventually grow fruit. The source of fruit is not the branch. It's always the vine. Now, with that out of the way, when Jesus says, I am the vine, what is he saying? You know what he's saying. He's saying, in order for you, to bear fruit, in order for you to produce, in order for you to live the life that pleases God, you must depend on someone other than yourself. You cannot have the power. You cannot have the resources. You cannot have the means or the wisdoms or the imagination on your own to create something on your own known as fruit. You need to be connected to the vine. You need to be connected to the true vine. You need to be connected to me. Now, here's what I find so interesting. Jesus says, not that he is the vine. What does he say? I am the true vine. Don't you think that's a little unnecessary? Why put that little qualifying adjective, I am the true vine? Why not just say, hey guys, I'm the vine, remain in me, and so forth, blah, 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 blah. Why does he feel it's so necessary to articulate this concept of the true vine? 
to where it would stimulate us to think the existence of its opposite, a false vine. Doesn't the reference of himself as a true vine also instinctively kind of cause a knee-jerk reaction to think, well, is there such a thing as a false vine? Hmm. See, Jesus is articulating the fact that he is not only just the vine, but he is the true vine because what we find so often is that there's a lot of false vines out there. And when we talk about a relationship between just you and Jesus, if you're not thinking Jesus is the true vine, who else is left for you to think is the true vine? Yourself, right? See, this is the growing problem that we see so often in people living out the Christian life. They forget that they are not the vine. They instead believe they are the true vine that they have it within them. They have the resources. They have the knowledge. They have the discipline. They have the self-control. They have all of these things on their own willpower, on their own skill, on their own wiring to be able to bear fruit. And Jesus says, no, that is not true. You are not the vine. I am the vine. I am the true vine. You see, Jesus is trying to make it clear on something that so often we forget because we live in a culture that is constantly making us forget. And that is, you are not Jesus. You cannot be Jesus. And when I say that, I simply mean, you are not the King of Kings. You are not the Alpha Omega. You are not the Lord of Lords. You are not the Master of the Universe. And yet we live in a world that is always articulating and persuading us in such a way to where we think we are the center of the world. And yet, Jesus finds it so important to make sure that we wake up out of that self-deception and says, you cannot be me. Only I can be me. But you can be like me. That's the difference. Christianity is not be Jesus in some form of self-actualization, in some sort of achievement, making a name for yourself. No, but it is saying, be like Jesus, because according to Christ, that's what it means to bear fruit. When it comes to bearing fruit, it means that you are becoming like Jesus. That's the essence of the purpose of your whole life. That is the reason for your whole existence. The reason why you exist is to be like Jesus. It is not to be Jesus. That's what it means to bear fruit. That's what it means to live out a reasonable, purposeful life. Now, for some of you, you hear that and you find it very offensive. (laughs) You find it very hard to agree with because maybe you grew up in a home where you had parents always telling you to be like somebody else and it drove you crazy. Man, why can't you be more like your older sister? Why can't you be more like our, your cousin? Right? Why can't you be more like that preacher's kid? Why can't you be more like that boy who you go to school with? Why can't you be more like this or more like that? That person, this person. And of course, you hear me standing up here by saying the purpose of your whole life is to be like Jesus. You're thinking to yourself, uh, Pastor, I've had enough of that my whole life and I'm sick of it. Why can't God just want me to be me? Why can't I just be me? Well, you know, this is me, you know. Sharpest words want to cut me down, all that nonsense, you're right. I'm going to be me. This is me. Why can't God just accept me for who I am? Why do I have to be like someone else, even if that someone else happens to be Jesus? You know, I can understand that, but it also shows, however, that you have a tremendous misunderstanding of what Christianity is all about. 
because I want to show you in just a moment. If you fully comprehend and understand of how you become like Jesus, you'll be done away with that kind of nonsense insecurity that you might be thinking right now. And to explain what I mean, let me go to my final point, how to be fruitful. Read verse 8 and 10 with me. Jesus continues, But this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. Now, the thing I want you to notice is the repeated phrase Jesus says over and over and over again. What's the recurring statement that he says within these three verses? What does he say? Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. In some other translation, it simply means remain in me. Abide in me, remain in me. And what in the world does that mean? What is Jesus getting at by saying this statement? Well, in a nutshell, he's trying to explain what it really means to be like him what it means to be like Jesus, <clears throat> right? It's abiding in his love. And by the way, this love <clears throat> that he's referring to, abide in my love, that's not simply or only referring to for his love for you. It's actually referring to something else too. Let me read you verse nine so you can have a better understanding. It says, as the father has loved me, <clears throat> so have I loved you, abide in my love. When Jesus tells us that the purpose of your life is to be like him, right? He is not saying the purpose of your life is simply to be a carbon copy of him to where you lose all of your unique individuality. No. To be like Jesus, according to Jesus, is to be loved like Jesus. Let me say that again. Being like Jesus simply means being loved like Jesus is loved. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying is the real meaning of being like him. It's being loved the way he is loved by the father, which means the reason for your life, the purpose of your whole existence is really what? To be God's beloved. The main reason, the sole reason for why you exist, your whole life is to be loved by the father. That's the whole reason of why God came into the world as Jesus so that you could experience and you can receive what he has had for all eternity so that you could be loved by him. That's the gospel. You know, my daughter, Kara, the oldest one, will sometimes ask me, Daddy, do you love me as much as you love Leah? And she'll usually say that because I'm, you know, playing with Leah, right? Do you love me as much? Do you love me the same as you love Leah? I says, of course I love you as much as I love Leah, right? She wants to know that the level of love I have for her is the same, no different. And yet, if I also say in my next breath, Kara, I wish you would be more like Leah, she'd be very upset, right? Because she doesn't want to be like Leah, she wants to be Kara. Here's so interesting. There's a part of her that wants to be the same and yet wants to be different in my eyes. And in some ways, she understands that if I love her the same amount as I love Leah, that validates that I also recognize how different she is from Leah, right? That's the paradox that we see in the gospel, right? God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. And because he loves you as much as Jesus, he recognizes and validates how different you are from Jesus. We talked about this last week, remember? This is the paradox of the gospel. 
the gospel. See, the gospel tells us that the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this mysterious nature of God and his triuneness is a perfect community of the best of all loves, the greatest of all loves. There is no greater love than what you find within the Trinitarian community, okay? There is no greater love in quantitude, qualitativeness. There's nothing greater, nothing deeper, nothing pure, nothing more unifying, nothing more life-changing. And yet the Bible goes on to say that God, out of his sheer kindness, wanted to create the world, which includes you and me. Why? So that he could share the very love that he has within himself amongst the Godhead, okay? He wanted to make sure that he loved each and every one of you as much as he loves within himself of the Trinity, all right? This is why God created you and I, why he created mankind. Consider these words from theologian Michael Reeves when he writes this. The father loved the son before the creation of the world. And the reason the father sends, his, sends him is so that the father's love for him might be in others also. That is why the son goes out from the father in both creation and salvation. That the love of the father for the son might be shared. If you ever have a chance to talk to the Father in person in heaven and say, Lord, Father, do you love me as much as you love Jesus, your one and only begotten Son? Do you think he's going to say, nah, of course not, you dummy? No. Of course I love you as much as my Son. And that's, again, not a carbon copy thing. It's a recognition that you have been created for this purpose pretty amazing right but here's what's even more amazing than that the bible goes on to say that because you and i are wicked broken sinners because you and i think and feel and do things that are so selfish they're so self-absorbed they're so self-consuming and so self-sabotaging god had every right to take back this offer, to renege his offer to you of sharing the love that he has for his son and giving it to you as your own. He has every right to do that because scripture and history affirms that there is no such thing as a genuine, true, decent human being except one. And you're not him and you will never be him, but you can be like him if you renounce yourself as your king of your own life, repent of your sins, confess them, and make Jesus the Lord of your life in faith, then that love that he ordained before the foundation of the world is once again yours to claim again through faith in the gospel. That is the gospel. That's the good news. It's the good news that says you don't have to do anything nor not do anything in order to earn or merit the Father's love because Jesus earned it for you in his perfect obedience and he secured it for you forever through his death and resurrection so that it can never be taken away, period. He did all of this so that he, Jesus, could be the vine. So that when you are united to Jesus through the Holy Spirit that Jesus sends after his resurrection, he is the vine, you are the branches, and now the love the Father has for Jesus <clears throat> doesn't stay with Jesus, it doesn't end with Jesus, it flows out of those he is united to. To where the Father's love for Christ becomes your personalized love for you. And when you understand that, that is when you become energized. That's when you become equipped to start living your life <clears throat> in a fruitful way. 
to where you start becoming more patient, more kind, more gentle, more self-controlled, and most importantly, more joyful. Do you know why Jesus is so joyful? He tells us. He is so joyful because he is so deeply loved by his Father. And guess what? If you're united to Jesus in faith, the joy of being loved by the Father becomes your joy as well. Because the love of the Father didn't stop with Christ, it continues on in you and in your children after you. Oh yes, even your children. And I'm gonna prove it to you in next week's sermon on infant baptism while we baptize infants. But for now, just know, you are loved deeply by the Father because he is so deeply <clears throat> loving to Jesus. And that Jesus is united to you. And when you grasp that, then you start living out <clears throat> the fruitfulness of life. That's how you acquire. That's how you experience what it means to bear fruit and to be like Jesus and to live for that purpose for more than any other purpose than you could possibly pursue in this life. Here's my question, NCF. Do you grasp that? Do you grasp that that is the essence, the purpose, the meaning of your life? That the purpose of your life is not to discover yourself, but to be like Jesus, so that by being like Jesus, the Father will love you as much as he loves Jesus, affirming who you are in your own beautiful, unique way. That's what the gospel is teaching us, and I hope you're listening and you're living it out. Let's end here with a couple next steps. First, you're here today investigating the Christian faith. This is the time, this is the chance for you to make the Father's love your own. If you find that today's message really compelled you, take this time now. Let's accept Christ as Lord and Savior and then come talk to me. I will help you and lead you and encourage you on some next steps so that you can have a deeper, growing grasp of the Father's love for you in Jesus. Secondly, I want to challenge all of you to memorize more scripture. That's why a lot of these next steps includes memorization of scripture. Take some time this week. Write out John 17, verses 20 to 26. Choose a smooth translation that is easy for you to remember and memorize it. That's part of the high priestly prayer where Jesus goes into more detail of why the Father loves you so much. It's John 17, 20 to 26. Write it down, memorize it. Here's a third exercise as a possible next step. Go to Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 23 lists out the nine manifestations of the one fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Yes, I did it again because I, I worked really hard to memorize it this morning. So, And write out which one of these nine do you feel you might be challenged by now, the Holy Spirit, to grow in. Right? Which of the nine are you struggling with? Which of the nine? <laughs> if it's all of them, then that's okay. Well, I'll be praying for you as well. No, I'm kidding. I, I need to grow in all of them too. But is there one particular one that you feel maybe God is calling you to focus on and pray through and maybe even ask an Oikos group member to encourage you by praying for you as well, right? And then finally, <clears throat> pick up a copy of Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit by Christopher Wright, a great Old Testament scholar. Uh, if you want to have a deeper and more comprehensive understanding of the specific, unique manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit, pick up a copy of that. It's a stellar work. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand what it means in terms of living a purposeful life that we would truly live out 
the right reason for our existence, and that is to bear fruit, to be like Jesus, to be loved like Jesus. And so, Father, I ask that that would be something that we would make our true ambition in all that we do, whether it's in the context of our financial life, our family life, our recreational life, our church life. Father, let the driving, overarching mission of our lives be a deeper understanding that will lead to a deeper transformation that's the result of being truly loved by you through your son, Jesus. Father, this world more than ever needs to know this life-transforming knowledge, this truth that will set people free and will bring such healing at all levels, social, political, economic, psychological, relational, and most importantly, spiritual. Father, we need to have this knowledge not only lived out but spread out before a world that is slowly dying because of its amnesia of the love of the Father. Would you enable us to live that out boldly and consistently live it out in our lives privately as well? Father, hear us now, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.